Hello, my name is Grant, and I'm a pastor at New Song Church, and once again, it's a privilege and a pleasure to be with you as we continue our journey together through the Gospel of Mark. And, you know, a lot of people say that uh, when you teach something, you learn a lot more even than the people that you're teaching, and this, for me, has been an incredible journey of discovery, actually rediscovery. I, I've uh, really um, had a, a new, renewed sense of awe, uh, not only in this Gospel, but, but to the one to whom it points, which is the person of Jesus. Uh, this has been a, a crazy time. There's something about uh, encountering Jesus in the midst of some very challenging circumstances uh, that is so fruitful and nourishing, I think, uh, for me, and I hope it has been for you also. Uh, yeah, we're in all sorts of crazy times still. We continue. We're looking at how we can uh, move into maybe a time where we can have some more in-person gatherings, and that's really exciting. But in many ways, uh, we're still in a very unique situation. Uh, and for a year, uh, many of our rhythms of life have changed. There's been some really hard things, negative consequences from that, but also there's been some kind of positive things. And for me, one of these things is that I think I've had a little more time to do something that I really love to do, and that is to read books. Uh, my family will tell you I generally have piles of six to ten books in numerous places around the house that I'm just kind of dipping into. Then when one catches my attention, I'll just like dive in and finish it. Uh, and one kind of book that I really, really love when I'm not looking at books about theology or whatever, uh, I really try to read uh, fictional books as well. It's really healthy, I think, for, for, uh, and for many parts of life. But um, what I really love are mystery stories. Uh, um, mystery is, is very compelling to me. I remember when I was a kid, I would read my sister's mystery books, and they were about uh, the famous five or the secret seven, and they were written by an author called Enid Blyton, which many of you may not have heard, heard about, but uh, it's a very British thing. But there were generally stories about gangs of kids, usually with their pet dog tagging along, and who over the summer holidays would solve some mystery or other. The whole book was just about the solving of mystery, and it was always a wonderful uh, jaunt through this story. Uh, it usually involves some kind of Scooby-Doo-esque uh, moment when the villain would say, my plan would have worked if it had not been for you meddling kids. Uh, in the States, in the United States, I guess, you have an equivalent, which would probably be Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys. Uh, fun fact, our new song front office administrator was actually named after Nancy Drew. Uh, well, actually, I don't know that for sure, um, but she sure is good at solving problems, so that would definitely fit. Uh, I'm still quite fond of mysteries as an adult, uh, no longer reading much Enid Blyton, these kids' stories, but I really love crime thrillers, especially the writings of Ian Rankin, who is a fellow Scot, and I love his stories in part because they are set in Edinburgh, Scotland. In f I'm quite familiar with lots of the locations, so I, I really enjoy reading those. My wife, Rona and I just finished reading a series of novels, mystery novels, about someone who is in the process of trying to find rare vinyl records in London, which are two things dear to my heart. Uh, London's one of my previous haunts, and I love uh, records. Well, they end up in all sorts of mysterious circumstances and solving some kind of crime. And I think about this, what keeps me reading these kinds of books? Why do I read them? And when I start one, why do I kind of persist to the end? And I think it's the expectation that I will at some point finally understand how all the plot lines connect. And if the writer has done a good job, the surprise will remain a mystery until the very last pages of the book. It's quite an experience, and I really enjoy that journey. You know, mystery might be fun in books, but in life, 
in real life with all of its twists and turns and unpleasant surprises and cliffhangers and with death as a certain apparent end to life, the concept of mystery can be very challenging for us. And that's why I think we go to Jesus. That's why we're doing this. The, this life is challenging. We want to find that, that place uh, where we can, can move forward with confidence. Uh, last week, we were introduced briefly to the concept of parables. These gospel stories are using commonplace words and situations to describe some aspect of the kingdom of God that Jesus brings. And we consider the first of the examples that Mark uses this term for, where he specifically says parable. And it was the parable of the strong man whom uh, Jesus has bound and whose house is now being plundered. Uh, and we, we decided that, the, that this is about the kingdom of God and it's eroding the powers of darkness. And this has been happening by means of the person and ministry, the presence and power of Jesus. And now this subversive action against the powers of darkness is being taken up by the people uh, whom Jesus is calling to follow him, uh, the 12 disciples and also a diverse crowd of others. And actually, we've already covered three parables so far that Mark uh, has shared that were all grouped together. Uh, they were the bridegroom's guests, if you remember that, the unshrunk cloth, a patch on, on, on new clothing, and the new wine. And they slipped in somewhat unannounced up to this point. Uh, they were not called parables, they just simply were, were shared. But now Mark makes this form of Jesus' teaching explicit to us. He talks about parables. And there are six more to come up uh, in the next weeks to come as we, as we continue in Mark. And these parables have a lot to do with the concept of mystery. In fact, they, they are, uh, in essence, somewhat mysterious, and that is often what we find most challenging and troubling about them. And in fact, the text that we're going to explore today even contains these words right in the middle. It's in verse 11 of chapter 4, the mystery of the kingdom of God. So this week we're engaging with a large parable that is fairly well known, perhaps, at least by people who've been connected with the church, with the Christian tradition for a large part of their lives. And it's the parable of the sower scattering seed across the ground. But, but many people, whether very churchish or very non-churchish, I made those words up, uh, will probably be familiar with one of the sayings of Jesus contained in the story. You may have heard this, even if you don't really know the story. And it's in verse 9 where Jesus said, Whoever has ears, let them hear. I think that's a good posture to accept, as, uh, to you know, put on as we, as we come to this. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Uh, so the parable of the sower appears in all three what are called the synoptic gospels, meaning that they are similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It does not appear in John. And there are three sections to Mark's telling of this parable, this, this telling of Jesus sharing this story. The first section is just simply the parable itself. So let's read that to start with. It's in uh, Mark ch uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And Mark writes, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, 
But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So in this parable, this story, we have four types of soil mentioned. Uh, We've got uh, a seed that is sown, and we have four outcomes for the seed that lands on the ground. Uh, Jesus says that some of the seed fell along the path and was eaten by birds. Some fell on rocky places. It quickly sprang up, but there was no root. The sun came out. It scorched it. The plants withered. The third uh, situation is that the seed fell among thorns. The seedlings were choked by thorny plants, and therefore the grain was bad. It did not bear grain. And the last one, it fell on good soil. Jesus said that it came up and it grew and produced an abundant harvest. At this point in Mark's gospel, you could be forgiven for thinking that you had stumbled into a meeting of the FFA, which is the Future Farmers of America, or perhaps a meeting of the local chapter of Farmers Only Singles Club. Farming? What has any of this got to do with God? In fact, it seems like according to Mark... This and other such parables form the entire content of his teaching that day to this huge crowd. This is just one example of the kinds of things that Jesus was saying to the crowd that day. What are we to make of this? Does it perhaps seem like a missed opportunity that Jesus had to share some clear truth with this, with this huge crowd of people who are assembled. They have gathered for a reason. And the reason they have gathered is clearly because Jesus was there and that they had heard things about him. Many people were attracted to his power, his authority, his healings, his exorcisms, perhaps even his really clever, uh, subtle uh, ways of answering the questions and accusations of the religious leaders. But now here he is with one of the largest groups yet assembled to hear him. And he tells them a story about farming. And most of them would have had some familiarity with the concept of sowing seeds and farming. There's no news here. Never mind good news. So mystery number one. Why the lack of clarity? Why the lack of clarity? Well, we move on. In the second section of Mark's account... The likely puzzlement, bewilderment perhaps of the entire crowd or most of the crowd is, is addressed directly to Jesus by his disciples. It's almost as if Jesus and Mark, as he writes the account, anticipates the question and his disciples, obviously, they do the same and they come directly to Jesus. Let's read on. Verses 9 to 13. It says, when he was alone, when Jesus was alone, the twelve... And the others around him asked him about the parables. And he told them, the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Did you catch that? Is that a little disturbing? Let's read that again. When Jesus was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables and he told them, Jesus told them, the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, 
everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Might it seem that he is telling his disciples that the reason for him speaking in parables is to actually prevent his listeners from understanding and thus being forgiven? Does this teach that? Some people have used this passage to teach the idea that God has chosen to save some people and for the rest there's absolutely nothing that they can do to change his decision. They will never understand the truth because their destiny is fixed in the sovereign predestined will of God. Is that what this is all about? Mystery number two, does Jesus use parables to intentionally mislead his hearers? Mystery number two, does Jesus use parables to intentionally mislead his hearers? Or is there something else going on here that we can perhaps understand from the very words that Mark actually uses to tell us this story? I think so, I think there is. The plot thickens. Let's read the next and last of these three sections. Because I think now we're going to gain some sense of what's going on here. Because Jesus, in this one instance out of all of the parables, the nine or so parables in Mark, he explains the meaning of this parable to his disciples. And this is the only time we get to listen to this and and, and sort of peer in and look in and see this aspect of Jesus' ministry. That's quite exciting and super helpful when it comes to working out how to approach not just this parable, but all the others. And also in this introduction to parables, we might discover something about the life of a disciple. This is definitely part of the key that unlocks the mystery. So Jesus replies to the questions of his disciples. Verses 13 to 20. Then Jesus said to them, that's the end, in answer to their question, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Him again, that character. Others, like seed sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful." Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Now perhaps we are getting somewhere for this smaller audience, and it may well have been uh, many more people than just simply the 12 disciples whose names we know. We know there were at least some more than the 12 because Mark tells us that, but it it could have been quite a group. Jesus introduces now into the story a few additional insights that were not given in the first telling of the parable. The first thing is the seed apparently is the word of God, the word. And apparently the the soil and how the seed uh, corresponds to the soil and, and, and grows in that particular kind of soil corresponds to four types of people. The first type of person, Jesus says, it's like the seed sown along the path and where the, where the word is sown, um, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. 
Second type, rocky places, they receive it with joy. There's a response. There's almost like there's a planting and an imparting of it and a reception of it. But since they have no root, there's the problem. It's shallow. There's no root. They last a short time. Anything, trouble, persecution comes and they fall away. They don't bear fruit. The third type of person, it's, it's thorns, it goes among thorns and the thorns seem to represent just the worries of life and, and issues with money and desire for other things and it chokes the word. The seed is choked out and it does not produce fruit. The fourth type of person is sown is into good soil and where it is accepted, the soil receives the seed and it produces a crop of, of different kind of amounts, but, but an abundant crop. All four hear the word. Notice that. All four hear the word. All four. But only one experiences fruitfulness that leads, uh, uh, sorry, growth that leads to fruitfulness. And for the others, for all the other three, something interrupts the process of growth. So what is going on here? What is the mystery of the kingdom? What are we to make of Jesus' strange words about those who hear yet fail to perceive, those who see and fail to understand? What will we make for the fact that Jesus is sharing now most of his teaching in, in what, what we, we know now as parables and they're, they're hard to understand? Well, Jesus in the central section quotes from the prophet Isaiah and this is very illuminating. If you look back in Isaiah, it's in chapter six. And it's when Isaiah is first called uh, to be a prophet in the very first place. And he's in the temple and he becomes so aware of the, the broken nature of his community. But God calls him to go and speak to them. And this is a direct quote that Jesus does from, from the prophet Isaiah. That they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. This is one of the very first judgments that God pronounces on his people there in that time as he calls Isaiah to prophesy to them, to call them to repentance. And it's an oracle of warning that it's contained in. The, the bad things are coming, destruction is coming because of people's inability to listen to God. This is from the heart of a God who loves them and calls that they might turn away from what they're doing towards him and change Jesus seems to be making a clear comparison between the people of that day and the present generation to whom he is speaking. Jesus comes with the language of a prophet to call the people once again to turn their hearts and lives back towards the God who loves them. But Jesus is more than a prophet. He is God in the flesh come to dwell amongst his people and speaking on his own behalf the truth. In chapter one, we heard Jesus doing this. This is the big first things that he did. Jesus went into Galilee. This is like the same area that he's in now. Pre proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The people of Isaiah's day didn't want to hear what the prophet had to say. Uh, they were indisposed to hearing because of their preconceptions and their resistance to the truth. And now Jesus is encountering the very same dynamic in his listeners. And it, it seems that the parable of these four soils, um, they are descriptions somewhat of, of the souls, the hearts, the minds, the lives of, that exist among his listeners on that very day. And he's saying that only one of them becomes fruitful. What is that? 
have to do with, with this journey that we've been on and understanding? Well, last week we talked about the true family. We talked about the three kind of family connections to Jesus. There was one that was possibly filled with presumption because they were his blood family. They'd been used to him for 30 years and now he's doing things that seem radically different to the person they have come to know perhaps and they want to take him in charge of him. There was the religious family, this long traditions that have been so stuck and these people are the ones he's button heads with most. But then it was the true family. And what did we discover Jesus was saying characterized this true family? And it was two things. It was proximity and it was obedience to the will of God. It was proximity and it was obedience to the will of God. And now we enter into this story, this parable, and these very things are being highlighted and illuminated uh, in a very helpful way. Mark is a skillful writer. I think actually, you know, the greatest part of biblical interpretation is simply about paying attention, observing closely what are, is actually there. You know, compare translations and to see which words are there and how they differ, but just read what it says and try to make some understanding, comes to some understanding from that. And notice this, okay, so the first parable, it was, it was difficult to understand. It was sort of a, a, you know, a dialogue about farming, but notice this. That, that word, that parable is sandwiched between two clear commands. Jesus begins and then he ends. And we can focus on the contents in the middle and get kind of, get kind of confused. But there are two things that are completely clear in what Jesus said. And it's the thing at the beginning and the thing at the end of the parable. And it says this in, Mark's, in Mark chapter four. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen. First thing he said, Listen. And then he tells the parable. And then right after the parable, then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Listen. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. What is happening here? Well, there's, there's these two commands. Starts with a command, ends with a command. And it seems that what happens in the middle has this incredible effect uh, of somewhat highlighting the divisions that are already starting to occur within the people who are listening to Jesus. And actually the telling of the parable and how people respond to it in terms of proximity to Jesus and obedience, taking what he says as something truthful to be obeyed and, and following it, will actually determine whether people will move closer to or further away from him. And so it's amazing, the second part, what do we see? We see the disciples, they stick around. The disciples don't leave. Something has caught their attention. They stay with Jesus and they do exactly what he asked them to do, which firstly is listen. And for whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And so what does it say? It says in verse nine, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. There's, there's a difference there. It seems that many people were like, it's confusing, don't get it. Off to better and greater things. But the 12, when he was alone, they purposely, intentionally seek him out to ask, what is this about Jesus? What does he say when they come and ask him? Immediately he says to them, the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you. And then he proceeds to tell them more about the parable. 
This is an incredible dynamic. And I'm thinking to myself as I, as I understand this, and there's many ideas about what the mystery of the kingdom of God might be, but I, I am feeling quite confident in that it might at least in part be this one, that this mystery would be that those who would ask, who would seek, who would knock, will receive and find and have the door opened to them. And that is the process. This is the mystery of the kingdom of God that those who hear, those who seek to be in approximation to Jesus and who will obey what they hear will be moving forwards in understanding. Just this smaller audience that heard the second part of the parable because they stuck around and they asked the questions. Another clue about what we might understand from this is something that is quite the opposite of the idea that Jesus is being intentionally elusive. Like he's trying to trick people or cause people not to get it. He's being like really obtuse and and difficult by telling this story, you know, sharing the story about farming. But here's the thing. Does the story of the sower and scattering the seeds strike you perhaps as being a bit odd? And quite a few people have pointed this out in various commentaries that I have read. If you have any knowledge of farming, you might think that the process of seed sowing that the sower uses in the parable is pretty wasteful and inconsistent. If you're like a results-oriented person, you're going to be like, he's just like scattering the seed everywhere. And it's actually landing on mostly non-fertile soil, on rocks, among thorns. You know, he's, he's more like a bird feeder than a farmer because most of the seed seems to be eat, being eaten by birds. What is happening here? Well, there's a kind of a change in Jesus' ministry that is happening. He, is, he began early on with a, a pretty clear message uh, and uh, which is kind of changed. Now he says, now he started to talk in parables. So that's a difference, there's a shift here. He began by teaching uh, within the institutions of religions. Only one more time later when he is in a synagogue, but pretty much the beginning, he's in the synagogue, 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 this clear institutional place of religion. And now it seems that he's more and more preaching out in the highways and the byways. You know, and yeah, as I said, he began with these simple proclamations of repent, believe, the kingdom is here. And now he's, being, he's teaching in this parable way, casting the word widely in all these new places in order that those whose ears are open might follow the path, ask their questions from seeking hearts and move further along the way. Others, frustrated with the requirement to receive the truth as he brings it, will walk away. And what's amazing, he's about to send out, we're going to read soon that he's going to send his disciples out, those people who are now being taught in these parables, this kind of seeking, knocking, asking process. He's going to send them out to start doing again what phase one was. They're going to be sent into all the places with the message, repent, the kingdom of God is here. Turn, believe, follow Jesus. So... This, the title of this message is, is this, and I kind of borrowed this from a commentary that I was reading because I thought it was kind of clever and funny. And I like, I like these kinds of things, wordplay, right? But it's so far, so good, so what? Um, and that, that really fits, you know? The seed is good, it's the word. The word is being sown. And the seed is being sown far, wide, far. But so what? What about now? What does this tell us right now? What should we pay attention to here? 
You know, I've heard it said that a few times, uh, I've heard it said a few times that, that a clever trick that mystery writers, some mystery writers use to construct their stories and create their intricate plots and kind of keep us guessing right to the end is that they do this. Rather than working from the beginning to the end of the story and kind of writing it that way, they actually start by figuring out what the surprising conclusion, the aha moment of the book will be and then working their way backwards from there, kind of covering their tracks as they go. And, and this really fits with this concept of parables and the mystery and even the mystery of, of walking with Jesus into the future that is somewhat unknown. And really here's the thing, it's the kingdom of God. Jesus came to talk about the kingdom and Jesus is gonna bring the kingdom and it is the perfect conclusion to the story of all creation. It's hinted at in the outcome of the seed on good soil. There's this amazing kind of kingdom coming moment where he talks about the seed sown in good soil. The word is heard, it's accepted, it produces a crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. That is resonant with this harvest, sense of harvest and fruitfulness. And so where does that, where do we fit in with this? Well, clearly we, I think we're called to bear fruit. We're to be fruitful people. Our lives are, are to be fruitful. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, first thing is we, we seek to live as disciples should live. Uh, we want to be doing all that we can. First of all, to be in proximation to Jesus. We want to spend time with him uh, as, as, the, as this true family. So we, we're, we want to be close to Jesus in an ongoing and regular manner. But secondly, um, also that means we're going to be close to his people. And, and, and next also, we want to obedient, be obedient to his word. This is key, to be obedient. You know, this was a fresh word to the assembled crowd. I don't think Jesus sat in a study and wrote this parable out. He was just... He was speaking truth from his heart to theirs. And I really believe that Jesus still does this today. That Jesus casts the word far and wide into every nook and cranny of human existence. So therefore every situation, even every apparently mundane daily task or experience is an opportunity to encounter the seed that is the word of God. And not just sermons or Bible reading, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we commune. We have the ability to commune with Jesus every day in all circumstances. So I think we can have confidence, confidence that the, that the word is present, that the word is here. And we can, we can do a really good job by getting into the word of God, into the Bible, into scripture, and hearing that, that kind of thing and reading that and meditating upon it to really be sure that we're receiving a healthy, healthy dose. Like you take your vitamins, wherever you do every day, to receive that nourishment that your soul needs to continue to grow. And you're gonna have questions, you're gonna have Mysteries, you'd be like, I don't understand this. How does this, what I've read, fit with this that I'm experiencing? And the whole point is that I'm staying with you, Jesus. I'm gonna keep asking my questions. I'm gonna keep knocking, seeking, asking, because you say I'll receive and I will find and the door will be open to me. So we can have confidence that we are receiving direction from God. And just because we don't quite understand it in the moment, it doesn't mean that we failed to hear from God because he loves us and he is the one who communicates. I love this, this, this quote, uh, Anselm of Canterbury, who lived from 1033 to 1109, that's a long time ago. One of the greatest things I've heard that describes the spiritual life and the life of a disciple is this, that it, what it involves is faith seeking understanding. Faith seeking understanding. I have come to a faith in Jesus 
And now I seek to understand what that means in every aspect of life. Later in Mark, we're going to see this most wonderful and honest declaration that a man makes to Jesus. And it's a great model for prayer in in these or any times. And this man says, I do believe, Jesus. Help me overcome my unbelief. So we keep pressing on. We don't walk away. And And the second thing is this, is that cultivation of the soil that is my heart, my mind, my spiritual ears, my eyes, my life. I better pay attention to that. What kind of soil is being cultivated right here for the seed to be born and to produce fruit? You know, we can all fall into seasons where our lives don't provide this kind of soil. I think in many ways, all these soils can be any one of us at any time in our lives, but but there's definitely a command to pay attention to the kind of soil that the seed is falling into that is our lives. You know, the issue for the seeds in the rocky places was what Jesus said was a lack of rootedness. The word was received with joy. Ooh, I love it. Fantastic. But apparently there's no roots. Therefore, it didn't last and there was no fruitfulness. And he said this is because when the word starts to cause us, cost us something, cost us something, the roots are shallow and we fall away. I think that describes a lot about how we practice our faith sometimes, especially when we talk about coming to church on Sunday and we get a good kind of sense of feeling from that. But, but maybe it doesn't really carry on into the rest of the week and much else. And, uh, you know, here's the amazing thing. Jesus is both the teacher. He's also the word of God. He's the one that brings the seed. And he's the one that actually provides the ability for us to cultivate the right kind of soil. What about roots then? What about roots? Well, the answer is in Jesus because he provides this in community. We find our rootedness in community. Uh, Our rootedness consists of a common story, a common history, a common purpose, and a common future life together. I think that's where we find our roots. We're not going to be quite so likely to have a joyful experience then fall away because there's consistent fellowship and community that we have to work at because it's not easy. The second thing, when the, the issue for one, some of the seeds was the thorns. All the worries of life, he says, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things. Jesus, once again, is sufficient for this because he will give you all that you need. He is sufficient. We don't need to be anxious about these things. And once again, in the context of a community, we are supposed to be sharing that which we have so that no one is left completely in that place of devastating lack. We live out of a a, a feeling of abundance, with a generous God, therefore we are generous people, not out of a position of scarcity and clinging to what we have. It's all found in Jesus as his disciples seek to be close to him and to obey him. You know, today is Palm Sunday. We haven't mentioned that yet, uh, at least um, in, in this message, because we're not actually going to get to Mark's telling of the Palm Sunday story until chapter 11 when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. But this really is such a perfect example in some ways of what we're talking about, because on that day, the crowds receive the word, Jesus, who actually is an embodiment sitting on this donkey. He's an embodiment of the Old Testament come in the flesh, come to life before their eyes. And they receive it with great joy. But within a few short days, the majority will be calling for his execution. The roots are shallow. Yet there is a group that continues to linger with him through all of the moments of Holy Week, through the arrest, even though at a distance, Peter himself, that bold one, follows him right into, uh, into the prison practically. 
Or they stand and they watch him crucified. They see him say, it is finished. And he gives up his life. And then they come and they're lingering. The reason that Mary Magdalene is the person to see Jesus at the empty tomb is because she didn't leave. She stayed in the last place where she knew Jesus to be. And she was met by him right there and sent to witness, tell the brothers, I have risen. So these people, they they continue, though with fear and trembling, they're not like the crowd they linger, they follow the word of God into the unknown future and we now live in their legacy that they persisted and I think we can build something similar right here for future generations. Let's pray. I'm gonna pray using the words of a a song that I, I just really love the song. It's by an Irish composer called Keith Getty. So will you just join with me as we, as we use this as a prayer, a, a way of responding to what we have heard today. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise. Cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail. Let their truth prevail over unbelief. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace, we'll stand on your promises. And by faith, we'll walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Amen.